Today we celebrate the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what's interesting about this solemnity is that it's one of the newest, arguably, actually it is the newest dogma in the Catholic Church. It's very rare this happens, but the solemnity of the Assumption, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception are two of the last kind of dogmatic proclamations done by the Holy Father. The, the Immaculate Conception was done in the, in the 1800s, and this very solemnity, the one that, you, that we're celebrating today, the patron, the patroness of our diocese, the Assumption, was declared a dogma in 1915, 50, I did not, not 1950, 1950, by Pope Pius XII in the Apostolic Declaration, Apostolic Constitution Munificentimus Deus, which means in Latin, bountiful God, bountiful God. It was here where he declared ex cathedra, extraordinary magisterium, infallibly, absolute certainty, no doubt, once and for all, can't be doubted, can't be questioned hardly, that Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul, and that her body did not know decay. That Mary was assumed into heaven, body and soul. That's what was declared in 1950. And yet, it's kind of odd. I mean, think about it. This is a historical event that happened before the year 100 probably rolled around. All things considered, it really wasn't, it really wasn't something that, that we should be declaring 1,900 years later. It seems a little bizarre that it's just now beginning to be declared a dogma. And... For the longest time, you know, you look at this, at this dogma, this assumption, especially the fact that it was declared so late, you'd think that the dogma, the assumption is just that, an assumption, something that's just kind of a wild guess. But I would argue that's actually not true. I would argue that if we look at our, our three pillars of Catholic teaching, magisterium, tradition, and scripture, we can see the assumption gleaning and screaming out from the, the depths of history, from the depths of scripture, and from the depths of our teaching, the magisterium. So let's first start off in the magisterium. Basically, the magisterium is the authoritative teaching of the church. It's the teaching of the popes and the teaching of the bishops within all of history. And if we look at this, one of our strongest bishops to preach on the assumption is a man by the name of St. John Damascene. Now, St. John Damascene was preaching in the 8th century, so around the 700s, in the Byzantine Empire. And what St. John Damascene said so beautifully, so amazingly, was that it was necessary that she who had preserved her virginity remain inviolate in childbirth, should also have her body kept free from all corruption after death. He said it was necessary that she who had carried the Creator as a child on her breast should dwell in the tabernacles of God. It was necessary that the bride espoused by the Father, in that beautiful language for Mary, the bride espoused by the Father should make her home in bridal chambers in heaven. That this we see is necessary. 
St. Germanus of Constantinople, also the patriarch of Constantinople, a few years later, said that it was her beauty, her virginal body, entirely holy, entirely chaste, entirely uncorrupt, should never know decay because of its holiness, because of its virginity, because of its purity. What these old, ancient patriarchs were saying was that it's only fitting. It only makes sense that Mary should be preserved once and for all. That's the magisterial teaching. But let's go a little bit deeper. Why don't we look back at tradition? Tradition has an interesting take on the assumption of Mary. The reason why we're a little bit why, why we're a little bit hesitant to declare it until 1950 was because the tomb of Mary was actually destroyed by the Roman Empire. Whenever the Jewish people, the, there was the great Jewish revolt in the year 70. Whenever the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, leveled it down, there were no Christian sites left. The Holy Sepulchre, the, the site of the Last Supper, the Way of the Cross, all these places were absolutely destroyed, including Mary's tomb. To the point where what they did was they leveled it, put pagan temples over it, and it wasn't until the legalization of Christianity by, Constant, by Constantine that these, that these temples were destroyed and they started to be rebuilt by St. Helen, his mother. And at that place, whenever these temples were being rebuilt, that's whenever the temple of the, excuse me, the church of the Dormitio of Mary was being rebuilt. The church of the Dormition. To this day, this church remains. What we mean by the church of the Dormition is Dormio, in Latin, is, is the Latin word for sleep. And so the belief was that Mary was asleep, and in her sleep she was assumed into heaven. Guys, that church has been existing since the year 400. But the crazy part is, is that there's a little bit more to the story. In the year 451, at the Council of Chalcedon, a man by the name of Emperor Marcion, he was the Byzantine Empire emperor at the time, he called the council and he went to the patriarch and asked for the relics of Mary. Now relics, there's different types of relics. There's, there's third class relics, which are, which are relics that were touched to the body of the, of the saint. There are second class relics, which are basically a clothing or an article of the saint. And there's first class relics, basically the greatest relics, and that's the actual body of the saint. Now guys, we have first class relics of just about every saint you can imagine. St. Peter, St. John, St. Saint, Saint Jude Thaddeus, just like all the apostles are there. In fact, I think Father Sibley has, has a whole relic, big old reliquary of all 12 apostles. We have, we have relics of St. Augustine, we have relics of St. Ambrose, we have relics of everybody. We even have heads of John the Baptist. Yes, I did say heads, that's kind of a scandal in the church. We're still working on that out. But we have multiple, like, multiple actual corporeal things of people. But whenever the emperor asked for the relics of Mary, the patriarch looked at him and said, We don't have any. They don't exist. We have, they're not in our possession. We have the burial cloth of Mary. We have Mary's veil. We have Mary's belt. We don't have her relics. We don't have her body. Guys, it's the year 451. Unbelievable, right? But what he described was that was even more incredible. He said what happened was Mary died in the presence of the apostles. And if her Mary was put into the tomb, the apostles, the apostles left. And one of the apostles 
wanted to go and venerate the body of Mary because he was going. Of course, it was St. Thomas. He's like always late to every party. I don't know what his deal was. But so St. Thomas, you know, he wants to go and visit and, 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 and go and venerate Mary. And what happens? They open up the tomb and the burial cloth is empty. Empty. Which is kind of strange. All of her clothes are there. Just gone. Not exactly a way a grave robber would steal a body. Usually they take all the all the good stuff and then leave the body behind. They don't really have much interest in the body. But no, the body was gone and the clothes were left. And that's the tradition. The tradition was that Mary was assumed into heaven from the tomb. That's the tradition. And yet I would argue too we can see that backed up in Scripture. In fact, I would say Scripture, even though it doesn't mention the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, explains the assumption almost better than the other two arguments. Let's look at Scripture. We know that it's not uncommon in the Scriptures for somebody to be assumed into heaven. Who's the first one to be assumed into heaven? Enoch. Nobody really knows anything about Enoch, but he. Apparently, he was a pretty good guy. He was one of the very first men to walk the face of the earth. He was, in a sense, the patriarch of humanity. And what happens, he walks with God, and he doesn't taste death. He doesn't taste it. Then what happens later? Elijah gets taken up into heaven. We know this for a fact. A flaming chariot comes down. Elijah gets on there, leaves, 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 leaves the earth behind. As soon as he gets assumed into heaven, the cloak falls, and Elisha has the cloak. He now has the power of Elijah. So Elijah's in heaven. And then, of course, we all know Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven. So clearly, heaven has people who are, in, who are inhabitants that have body and soul. But I would argue there's another person in heaven that hasn't necessarily been declared in the same way that Mary has been declared. In the same way Elijah. In the same way that, that, that Enoch has been declared. And that's Moses. We've all heard of Moses. Moses, I would argue, is one of the greatest Jewish men to walk the face of the earth. I mean, the man parted the Red Sea for crying out loud. He made us a staff turn into a snake. He killed the firstborn of almost the entire Egyptian nations. He overthrew that empire himself with the power of God. And where is he buried? No one knows. It says that in the scriptures. Nobody has a clue where Moses is buried. This is like the the greatest man to walk. This is is the Jesus of Judaism. This man is out of this world. And we have no clue where he's buried. Kind of a strange circumstance. At least that's what the Old Testament says. But where do we see Moses in the New Testament? At Mount Tabor. Right there. Where Jesus is transfigured before his apostles. And who's standing right next to him? Elijah, who clearly we know was taken up to heaven, and Moses. So let's do the math. Clearly the Lord loves his patriarchs enough to take one of them up into heaven. Clearly the Lord loves his prophets enough to take one of them up into heaven. Clearly the Lord loves the men who do his works like Moses enough to have probably take them up into heaven. And he loves his son enough to take him up into heaven. Why wouldn't that same exact love 
apply to his mother.